Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. If you brought your Bibles, go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 22. I'd like for us to kind of do an over glance of this passage as we jump into it today. This is the parable of the great feast. And it says, Jesus also told them another parable, he said. The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell them, the feast has been prepared. The bulls and the fattened calves have been killed and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guest he had invited ignored them and went his own way to his farm, another to his business. Others seized his messengers and insulted them and then killed them. The king was furious, and he sent out his armies to destroy the murderers and burn their towns. And he said, servants, the wedding feast is ready, and the guests I invited aren't worthy of honor. Now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike, and the banquet hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes For the wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had to reply. He had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet and throw them into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. There is a lot to unpack in this parable. And remember, parables are earthly illustrations that Jesus gave to teach heavenly concepts. And so what we see here is that there is an argument that has been taking place. And the argument was whether Jesus was the Messiah or not. We see uh, there are a few more parables before this that deal with the same issue. That's why we're delving into this last one of the series. And the thing is, is they were arguing. And why do we argue over the dumbest things? For example, what are we going to have for dinner? Usually we argue about where we want to go eat and go to one of four places we normally go. And then also, how about arguing about why no one knows how to replace the toilet paper when the roll is empty? The need for driving directions. Sometimes we may look like we need directions and advice, but we really don't. Temperature of the house. Anybody ever argue over that? Or maybe the temperature of the automobile that you're in. Or maybe uh, basically the temperature everywhere. Or whose fault is it that you're late? I'm going to go ahead and tell you if we're late, it's my fault. Maybe you argue over spending habits. Maybe you argue over eating habits. The main thing is who wins the argument? You may win the argument, but you may lose the war. I've learned, told me one time, he said, son, when you marry, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? And I said, I want to be happy. (laughs) There's all different things that we can go through. And we have little arguments, big arguments, some or with our friends, our spouses, or, or co-workers, whoever it may be. But isn't it funny how the little arguments turn into big arguments? And it's amazing the amount of energy we exert on arguing over the smallest things when actually making a decision on those things should be pretty easy. So this argument in today's passage, Jesus is settling the argument today with this parable. It's an argument that the religious Pharisees centers around 
whether Jesus is the Messiah or not. So the section of the book of Matthew has a theme, the rejection of a king. We are seeing these parables put together, meaning the rejection of a king. And so with that said, we jump right in and see that Jesus uses the parable of the two sons, the parable of the evil farmers, and now today's passage, the parable of the great feast, to settle the argument that the Pharisees had with them. The first thing that we see in verses 1 through 6 is that an invitation has been sent. An invitation has been sent. Today, too many people are blinded to the invitation that God has sent them. Have you ever been in a situation where you catch people talking about a party or something that they've gone to that you thought you would have been invited to? And then all of a sudden you ask, I didn't know about this. And Oh, yeah, your invitation must have got lost in the mail. And you're sitting in the mailbox and, you know, it, it never came, right? Or maybe someone stole it out of your mailbox. Or maybe, you know, you're the one that hosted the party and maybe you say that, you know, we, we really thought that we sent you an invitation, but nowadays it's not that it got lost in the mail. It's, I'm having problems with my phone. And so they probably that text message didn't go out. It's amazing how those people say they have a problem with their phone, can comment on every Facebook post, make every kind of tweet, and make, take every kind of picture and post it, but they can't get the invitation to that party. So anyway, there is no doubt whether you got the invitation in the mail or whether you got the text message or whatever. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, this is a text message that God has sent out. And every one of you and me are invited to this banquet that Jesus is talking about. And then we see in Matthew 1 through 6, we just read that just a moment ago, that Jesus is making crystal clear to everybody today that the invitation has been sent. You say, well, I haven't received an invitation. Well, it's probably not going to be coming to your mailbox. It's not going to be coming to your inbox. It's going to be coming to the inbox of your heart where you feel God calling upon your life. We see that for first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, to join his family, to be the chosen believers that will spend eternity with him. There is no room for ambiguity or any kind of denial or confusion. Jesus makes sure that it is crystal clear to each one of us that we have a choice to accept his invitation or to reject it. And it is your choice to accept or reject the invitation to have a relationship with God. It is your choice. Now, many of you in here have professed to have a relationship with God, and your life bears the fruit of that. And so, amen to that. You have accepted the invitation. But there may be somebody in here that is still not accepted that invitation. There are people that walk in front of this church every day that have not accepted that invitation. There are people that you work with that are in your family, that are your friends, that have not accepted that invitation. So let's just jump into the parable. Let me explain a few things because it's much richer than what you see at first glance. In verse 2, it says, The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. The kingdom of heaven is the ticket that we all hope to receive. Back in the old days, what was it, Willy Wonka? You wanted to get the golden chocolate bar so you could go take a tour of Willy Wonka's chocolate factory? We remember Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. Everybody wanted to get that golden candy bar. Well, the thing is, is that there is a golden invitation. The invitation of Jesus 
calling us to follow him and has been issued by God the Father. Many Jewish parables represent God as a king and his son as Israel marrying to the Jewish law. Now, what is the Jewish law? The Jewish law is the Ten Commandments. And so Jesus is illustrating that God the Father has a celebration plan for his son Jesus and all those who choose to heed the invitation. Now, I'm getting that look from some of you like, wow. All right, and that's okay. Let me break it down for you. Basically, God selected Israel as his chosen people. We see that in the Old Testament. And throughout the Old Testament, they were faithful to him and they rejected him. They were faithful to him and they rejected him. And he would punish them and he would bless them. And he would punish them and he would bless them. Until now here, when Jesus Christ came on scene as the Messiah, the Jews were starting to feel like that they were superior than everybody else and they wanted to reject Jesus because they were God's true chosen people. They are the ones that got the invitation. And all these other people are trash and shouldn't shouldn't be allowed to have that. That was their feeling. But we see in verse 3 it says, When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they all refused to come. Again, the invitation is clear. In Jesus' day, when he shared this parable, they would send out, if they had a party or a great feast or a wedding, they would send out two parties. Much like today, if someone is getting married or if there's an anniversary or a birthday party, what do you send out first? Save the date. Put it on your calendar. And so everybody that gets to save the date puts it on the calendar. And then the real invitation comes later, giving you all the details about what's going on with whatever event that is. And so what Jesus is saying is, is that There has been an invitation, a save the date has been sent out. And yet, here we come to this parable, much like today. Uh, The response is obvious. When they would send out the second invitation, that meant the food was just about ready, and that if you don't come, you're going to miss out, and you're going to insult the host, And they're going to have a lot of food that's going to go to waste. And so by him saying in this parable that they refused to come means that they had the invitation and they chose to back out. I forget what we were looking at. Don and I were looking at an event on Facebook and and we went to it and, and there wasn't as many at the event that said they were coming on Facebook. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine? More people would click. They're going somewhere on Facebook. And not show up. But that's a great illustration of what's happening here. These invitations back in that day. First of all, if you got an invitation, you were somebody special. And then to get the invitation and to not take it was a slap in the face to the host. So the response was obvious. The banquet was ready, but people refused to come. It means they backed out of the commitment that they had made. And their refusal to show was a deliberate and conscious decision, which was an extreme insult to the host. Jesus is saying to the Jews, you were the chosen people and you were given the original invitation, but you have chose to reject my father's banquet. You have chose to reject me as the Messiah. And now if we get back to today's world, if you choose to reject Jesus, you are in the same camp as they are. It says in verse 4, So he sent other servants to tell them, The feast has been prepared. The bulls and the fattened cattle have been killed and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. I'll get your interest up. It's a barbecue. 
Everybody likes bar- Who does not like barbecue? That's what I thought. There's nothing. I mean, everybody's got their favorite barbecue place, and and we're lucky to have a few places here in town that serve great barbecue. And there's other places, but I don't want to start talking about barbecue because y'all be thinking about lunch. But the thing is, is that the barbecue was ready. You could walk near the event and you could smell it cooking. That's like you could walk out of one restaurant and be stuffed, but if you walk by a steakhouse and smell it, for some reason you're still hungry, right? So I mean, the the the, the odors and the the senses are just tingling, and you're like, man, this is going to be a great place. But yet, they chose to reject the invitation. The killing of the bulls and the fattened calves meant that there was a massive preparation that was made by the king, and that the meat would spoil unless the, un- unless the invited guest would show up quickly. How many Thanksgiving meals can you remember where it took you two days to prepare a meal that took 20 minutes to eat? It's amazing. You're like, you are worn out and you try to enjoy it. And then before you know it, the meal's over and then there's the dishes. But you ever had that time where you got a meal and you're just waiting for everybody? And there's always that one family member that's always taking their time. And they always got the excuse. And you're like, this stuff's going to get cold. It's not going to be any good. And blah, 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 and go on and on. That's kind of what's going on here. That is that the host, the master, the king is frustrated and mad because people who said they were coming are not coming. It hurts your feelings when someone decides that something else is more important than what you've hosted, isn't it? It, doesn't it hurt when you find out that someone chose something else that you you have planned, you have put together, and someone just found out they had a better decision? It's kind of like when you were in middle school and you ask a friend to have a sleepover at your house, and all of a sudden they say, well, I can't do it because my mom won't let me, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden you find out they spent the night somewhere else. That ain't right. But you've got an invitation, and I've got an invitation. By God himself. Verse 5 says, But the guest he had invited ignored them and went their own way, one to his farm and another to his business. This means that they didn't care about coming to the feast. They had better things to do. You see, the Pharisees were too worried about being right in their own eyes and keeping their power and influence over the people that they led. But here's the truth, my friend. You can choose to involve yourself in many things, but make sure that they are bringing you closer to God and not further away from God. You have taken a moment out of your life to spend some time in this worship service this morning. And I am so thankful and grateful and praise God for that. And I pray that as you hear his word, if you've got anything else in your life that is more important, if you're building your wealth, building your resources, building your social network, building your community, building your financial nest egg, building whatever it is, if that is your main thing, it's taking you away from God. what God wants to do in your life. When we have any other priorities other than God, it becomes an idol. And you can read the Ten Commandments to see what God thinks about that. He says there is not to be any other idol before him. Verse 6 says that others seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. Now, when you hear this parable, this might go over your head or you might not think about this. I've read it before and didn't think about it. But this is what Jesus was saying in that parable. Anybody ever heard of Stephen? Stephen was the first martyr killed in the church for his faith. Some believe even that Paul, when he was Saul, 
the Jewish Pharisee was in on that killing. And so we see that Jesus is talking about his messengers. The messengers of the gospel would be killed. Stephen, the first martyr. James, the brother of John, was killed by King Herod with a sword. There are people that are are dying and losing their lives, and that's what Jesus was speaking about here. And then we see the second thing is that, Come one, come all to the great table. In verses 7 through 10, remember it says, The king was furious, and he sent out his army to destroy murderers and burn their towns. He said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, and the guests I invited aren't worthy of honor. Now go to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike, and the banquet hall was filled with guests. Today, everyone wants to define somebody else. Today, everybody wants to put a label on somebody else. If you don't agree with what I say, then you're going to have this label. If, if you don't think that my way is right, you're going to have this label. And we, we put people into camps, don't we? This person is a this. This person is a that. We're all about putting labels on People, But Jesus breaks down the wall of division here. Back then, racism was alive and well when this parable was written. There were Jews and then there were non-Jews. And that was the biggest thing. You were either a Jew or you were trash. And they didn't mind acting on that. So racism, yes, was alive and well during Jesus' time. But here's the thing. It says in Galatians 3.28, that because Paul is saying this, he says, There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ. As we look at this room today, we have different colors. We have different backgrounds. We have different genders. We have different, all of these things coming together. And the thing is, the truth of it is that there is not one person in here that is better than the other person. I am no, just because I am on this stage does not mean that I am any better than you. We are all one in Christ. And this passage is all about the work of Jesus Christ to bring salvation to the world, not just to the chosen Jews. Because you see, here's the difference. Jesus unites people, but sin divides them. Jesus brings eternal life with God. Sin brings eternal separation from God. And then the third thing we see is that we wear His name. In verses 11 through 15, But when the king came to meet his guest, he noticed a man wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, he asked, How is that that you are without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. The king said to his aides, Bind his hands and feet and throw him in the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Jesus here is referencing another Jewish parable from the first century that meant that wise servants waited at the king's gate, waiting for the promised banquet, dressed and ready to go. But foolish servants kept laboring with soiled garments and were unprepared when the wedding feast was ready. Now, if you read that passage and you you delved deep into your good old Baptist tradition. Aha, preacher, I see what that means. You need to wear your Sunday best to church. You need to have a tie. Don't need to wear pants. You don't need to have holes in your shoes, holes in your jeans. Got to have your hair fixed. 
can't wear baseball caps. If that is what you see in this, you have missed the total picture of what this is saying. The illustration here is, is that the people that have been given the invitation to join Jesus rejected him so that he went out into the highways and the byways, going out into Homeland Park and telling everybody they can come in. But the thing with the clothes meant is that you needed to be clothed properly to get into the event. Into the event, and so here's what it means by we wear his name. The indifference of those would not prepare for the great feast would be a deliberate insult for the king. People chose to dis the invitation. They chose to stay in their old clothes, their soiled clothes. Now, I don't know about you, but any of y'all a t-shirt person? I love t-shirts. T-shirts, what do they do? They get the message out. There's Christian t-shirts. There's event t-shirts. There's business t-shirts. There's organization t-shirts. And I am a t-shirt fanatic. I believe I still have every t-shirt from every youth event I ever hosted, every fire department I've ever been in. And I can just tell the story of my life in my t-shirts. People will do a lot of things for a T-shirt. People will stand in line for a T-shirt. People will put their face in front of a a gas gun for someone to shoot a T-shirt at them. Also, they can get that T-shirt. I have seen people maim and cripple people just to crawl over them to get a T-shirt that is shot out of a cannon at a sports event. We'll do anything for a T-shirt. Because we want something that says something on it. We want something that we can wear. We want that T-shirt. But folks, here's the thing. T-shirts have messages. And the message that we portray is what we wear. And so when he's talking about clothing and the clothes that we wear, it's not about the label that's on your back. I don't even know what the popular labels are. If you want to school me later on what the most in vogue uh, labels are, you can, you can teach me later and, and I'll act like I know what you're talking about for about a minute. I mean, you're talking to a boy that grew up wearing huskies and rough skins. If you don't know what huskies and rough skins are, you weren't portly as a child. And uh, you, you, anyway, that's, a, that's another story for another time. Portly kids need love too, amen. But the thing is, is that it's time to not worry about what it says on our t-shirt. It's time to wear the name of Jesus Christ. Let me show you this verse in Zechariah 3, 4. It says, so the angel said to the other standing there, take off your filthy clothes. And turning to Jeshua, he said, I have taken away your sins and now I am giving you these fine new clothes. In the next verse, we see in Isaiah 61.10, it says, I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God, for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. Folks, this is what Jesus has done for you and I. He has taken our filthy, sinful, dirty rags, regardless of where he found us, And regardless of how he found us, he took our sin, he took our shame, he took those old clothes, and he didn't shout it out. He didn't use OxyClean. He gave us a whole new set of clothes. And that is what we are to wear. But if you are stubborn today and you're not ready to give your lives to Jesus Christ, then you see what your fate will be. It says in verse 13, Then the king said to his 
aids, bind his hands and feet, and throw him in the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You and I both know that if we see on the door of a sign, no shoots, I mean, shoots, no shoes, what? No service, no shirt, no service. So if you go in there with no shoes, you're not going to get anything. If you go in there with no shirt, you're not going to get anything. Folks, if you do not have the righteousness of clothes that Jesus Christ has given to you, and you stand before God, your maker and your judge, and you do not have the righteous clothes of Christ on, you will not get in. That is what Jesus is saying. That is the purpose of this parable. The conclusion here is that for many are called, but few are chosen. The wedding clothes picture the righteousness needed to enter God's kingdom. The total acceptance in God's eyes that Christ gives to every believer. John 3.18, I love the way it says this. It says, there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. You see, to settle the argument brought by the Pharisee, Jesus let him know that although the Israelites were God's chosen nation, and they continue to be, their disobedience and rejection gave God reason to invite everyone who would accept him an invitation. This does not mean that God chooses a small few randomly. His invitation was set to the world through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came that all who believed would be saved. But the truth is, many people reject him. What does they say? The, the road to hell is wide, but the road to heaven is narrow. There are many people that think that when they die and go to hell, it's going to be a party. It's going to be beer swilling, AC singing, ACDC singing, good old party time, riding Harleys and doing, you know, boating on the lake and all that kind of stuff. Folks, that ain't hell. Hell is darkness. It is separation. Just as we have eternal bodies when we are resurrected, we get our heavenly bodies that is designed to enjoy all the beautifulness of heaven. For those that don't go to heaven and go to hell, they will have eternal bodies that are built to take torment and punishment forever. So I don't know about you, but for me, I want to take the narrow road. And if there is one person in here today that would say, man, that's kind of heavy today, preacher. You don't normally preach like that. Look, I call it where it lies. This is the parable. This is the last parable. And these are the words of Jesus. If you are here today and you are not sure that your garments are white, if you are not sure that you have Jesus Christ in your life, if you want to accept finally today the invitation that Jesus has sent for you to become his child, I pray that you do that today. You can come down front. I will pray with you, and we will get you started on this journey. Maybe you want to join this church, or maybe you just want to pray at the altar, whatever it may be. This decision is you, but do not follow Israel's pattern of disobedience. You are responsible for your soul. You're not going to be able to say, well, it's the preacher's fault. It's the church's fault. It's my brother's fault. It's my sister's fault. It's my parents' fault. It's an invitation that is given to you. So don't waste your energy arguing with Jesus or others about whether or not he is the Messiah. Because this is an argument you will never win. Accept his offer while you can. Let's pray. God, thank you so much 
for this message. Thank you for your parable and reminding us, Lord, that this is not a game. The Lord, uh, this invitation has been sent. This is why the church is here, is to remind people of this invitation. And for there are many here today that have accepted that invitation and that are believers. And I pray that just in the moment that they would pray that there is one person here that does not know you, that they would come forward. So, Lord, this invitation time is for you. If you're here, may you respond as God leads. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.